Uh, the pandemic may prove to be one of the best things that ever happened to the church because I think the pandemic has helped us to realize what really is important, what a church is, what a church isn't. We're starting to embrace the idea that the pandemic has helped us uh, in a couple of, of places where we needed to kind of simplify the process and redefine who we were as a body. Welcome to the Preaching Donkey Podcast, a weekly show where we explore how to preach life-changing messages. I'm your host, Lane Sebring, and I'm so excited to bring you inspiring and helpful conversations with amazing pastors and church leaders, all designed to help you take your preaching and leadership to the next level. And now, let's dive right in. Welcome to episode six of the Preaching Donkey podcast. This is going to be a great show. We have so many cool things planned. I'm going to be interviewing Bill Isaacs, who you heard a snippet of earlier. We're going to dive into a lot of cool stuff, including how to plan ahead on your sermon calendar, how to work with your staff and involve them in the process of sermon planning and development, how to lead through a pandemic, of course. Can't do an episode without hitting on that because there's just so much to talk about there. There's just uh, such great stuff in that interview. And also, Bill Isaacs has written a ton of books. And so it's just exciting to talk to someone like him. He's done a lot of things. And I think you're really going to love hearing from him. If you're just joining the Preaching Donkey podcast, this is a weekly show, both on YouTube. So if you're watching on YouTube, thank you. Please subscribe, hit the like button. That really helps. Leave a comment. Let me know what you think of the episode today. If you're listening on Apple Podcasts or Spotify or iHeartRadio or Amazon or Google or wherever you're listening, definitely leave a review. It really helps for this podcast to be more broadly shared in circulation, which is awesome because it helps more pastors to find it and discover it, which is really, really great. And also, if you haven't picked up my free 21-day guide to creating killer sermons, you can do that at preachingdonkey.com slash 21 days. It's a simple three-step, three-week process to walk you through creating and delivering a compelling message. And so if you haven't picked that up yet, definitely do that. And it's free at preachingdonkey.com slash 21 days, and I'll link it below in the description. So I wanted to tell you, I don't know if you know that we offer this at Preaching Donkey, but we actually offer coaching. And the types of coaching that we do is either one-on-one coaching with me or sermon evaluation. So if you go to preachingdonkey.com slash coaching, you can find all of this there. But I wanted to read you what Bob Griffith said. He was somebody that I did a sermon evaluation with, which you can find at preachingdonkey.com slash sermon eval, or just go to preachingdonkey.com slash coaching. And he said this, Lane provided comprehensive feedback and coaching on my preaching style that has helped me fine tune my content approach and impact. So thankful to have someone like Lane that pours into the important work of preaching the gospel. So really loved working with him and have loved working with all of the pastors that I've worked with on this. And so I would encourage you, if you are at a place where you just want to get to the next level, you don't have a ton of time necessarily to invest, but you just need someone with an extra set of eyes to take a look at what you're doing. What you do is you send me a message, I watch it. I write extensive notes about uh, what I think you did well, what I think you could improve. I tell you why. 
And then I share that with you in a Google Doc. You have plenty of time to read it. And then we jump on a Zoom call together where you can ask me anything about my observations and I'll kind of walk you through each one and give you a game plan for how to take your next sermon to the next level. And so it's been really helpful. It's helpful for Bob. It's been helpful for others. And so if you're interested in that, again, go to preachingdonkey.com slash coaching or preachingdonkey.com slash sermon eval. The other type of coaching I do is more one-on-one that goes for a period of time. If you want more than one session, you can look into that there. So uh, so Kanye West is in the news again. And at the time of this recording, this episode is going to post a little bit later than when I'm recording this. But I'm reading an article here at Christian Post. Kanye West to launch a gospel university to train singers. Uh, Kanye West made an appearance on the Joe Rogan Experience and revealed that he's launching a gospel university. West talked for nearly three hours about his relationships with God, the music industry, his presidential run, abortion, racism, and wanting to lead a free world. In the episode, he also disclosed that he would be reimagining gospel singing and launching a university. The songs that we're doing, quote from West, the songs that we're doing at Sunday service is basically my book of hymns for the future of gospel of the gospel university that I'm creating, West told Rogan. I've, invented, I've envisioned and will manifest a 200,000-seat stadium circular with 100,000 gospel singers. West, who has always been a visionary, likened his university to the type of training one would receive when training for the Olympics or professional sports. People will go into this university and they will train the way a Russian Olympic swimmer does. Picture like they will be in the pool six days a week at least, if not seven days, he explained. The Chicago native explained that people who sing for the church do so voluntarily as a tithe or pro bono. People don't practice that as much as we practice going to studio to rap or practice playing basketball for the NBA. Wes continued, it's making the NBA, so to say, the Coliseum for God. Have you heard like soccer chants with 60,000 people? I envision that for God, 100,000 people sometimes singing in harmony. You know, this is interesting. Kanye, obviously, throughout the last year or so, has been in the news a lot when he became very public with his faith and started doing the Sunday services. And I haven't really commented much on it because I just haven't had anything to add to the conversation other than there's a couple of things that I, I love about this. I love the, I love the big vision. I love the, the idea of I want to see 200,000 people in a Coliseum. I don't even know if there's a, I don't, know if the, I don't even know if there's a single venue that seats 100,000, 200,000 people, except maybe really large NASCAR stadiums. But I mean, here in Knoxville, we have Neyland Stadium, which I think is 106,000, and it's an iconic stadium. <laughs> so very large, 200,000 seats with 100,000 trained singers. That's a cool vision. I just think that's kind of neat. I, I love that he's got a vision to do something pretty remarkable. He's always thought very big. He's always done big things. And so who knows? Maybe he'll do it. I, I don't know. I, I think I think it could be really cool. And I'd love to hear what you think. <laughs> you know, let me know in the comments uh, what if you're watching on YouTube. What do you, what do you think about Kanye West and his his whole faith journey? Because you've probably followed it. This isn't the first you've heard of it. But what do you think about him 
and the Sunday services and what he has done since becoming very public with his conversion, uh, or not necessarily conversion as he talks about having been a Christian for a while, but his kind of rekindling of, of the passion that he has for Christianity. So that's Kanye West. That's what's going on right now in the news. And I want to kind of transition to the interview that we have today. I interviewed Bill Isaacs and I loved this interview. I had such a good time talking to him. He has been in ministry for 40 years. He's pastored a lot of churches. He's been an evangelist. He's been a bishop in his denomination. He's written a lot of books. And so in this interview, he's going to share some really helpful insights and wisdom into some very practical best practices for preaching, some things to keep in mind when you're working with your staff, how to lead through a pandemic, all of those kinds of things. And also, he's going to go into what the church, what his church has learned through the process of this pandemic, which I think is very helpful for us to glean something from. So without any further delay, let's go to the interview with Bill Isaacs. Bill Isaacs, it's so awesome to have you on the show today. Thank you so much for doing this. Lane, thank you. It's an honor and a privilege uh, to be invited, and I look forward to our discussions. Well, I appreciate that. So you are the, the pastor at Lake Erie Church. You've also written a whole lot of books. Uh, you're a consultant and coach for pastors at the Center for Pastoral Excellence. Uh, so you've done a whole lot in ministry. We're going to get into uh, some more of that later. But can you tell me, can you take us back and tell us where you came from, kind of what, what got you into ministry and what got you to the place that, that you're at now? Well, it, it's, it's hard to believe it's been more than 40 years ago. I am the son of a pastor. I'm the grandson of a pastor. Um, but I grew up in the home of pastor and uh, I love the local church. I have a, I have a fire and a passion about the local church. Uh, I went off to college, but not necessarily to be in the ministry. I actually wanted to be a teacher. Uh, so I started that journey and somewhere in the middle of that educational experience, I just decided that I needed to really, you know, buy into what God was doing in me. And, uh, and I began to preach and evangelize and travel the United States and a lot in the West, Colorado, Wyoming, Utah, that area out there. And it was there that I kind of found my voice, came to that, you know, that authentic conviction. God wanted me and he wanted me for who I was. And so, like I say, that's been more than 40 years ago. And uh, that journey has just taken me. I've lived everywhere in the United States. Um, I've served the tribe that, that I'm a part of, which is the Church of God. I've served as a bishop. I've served as a youth director. I've been a pastor. Of course, I started out as an evangelist. And now I've come full circle. Um, about 18 months ago, my wife and I uh, took this church in Perry, Ohio. Uh, she actually had grown up in this church, but the, the church was going through a leadership transition. And I was asked to come on an interim basis. And uh, you know what happens with interim situations. They end up being full time. And I fell in love with the church, the area. And so, you know, we've been here since that time. So it's kind of a dual thing. I work with the Center for Pastoral Excellence out of our seminary, uh, but I, I work from home and then, of course, uh, pastor the church. And so it's, it's a great experience for me. We're having a blast. This will be, you know, unless something dramatically happens, this will be my last church. Uh, and I'm, I'm excited about the journey that we're on. Yeah. 
That's, that's awesome. So, you know, in, in our uh, conversations leading into this interview, we talked a little bit about your calendaring process. And I'd love for you to share with those listening, <clears throat> how do you think about planning the calendar year for your preaching? What things do you take into consideration? Kind of help us think through that. Well, Lane, the way I'm wired is I like to do life with a plan. Uh, I'm not obsessively so, you know, that I have to have a plan for everything, but I like to know where I'm going. I tend to lean a little bit toward that forward thought, you know, that where, what's going to be coming up, what's taking place. I don't like to react a lot. I like to be able to say, okay, I know where we're going. This is what's going to take place. Um, and so the preaching calendar, of course, a lot of pastors use preaching calendars. And for me, I sit down and I've already started the 21 preaching calendar. I'm already three or four months into it, but I sit down with the calendar and I, I try to tag everything that we, that's important to that. So for example, I would want to know when the school systems in my area are going to be on spring break. I would want to know where all the holidays are. I would want to know the special things that the staff and I have been planning uh, the emphasis deals when summer mission trips are going to be going on. Uh, you know, are we going to do a choir tour this year? Whatever, whatever's going on, because all of those are going to be contributing factors to the flow uh, of the year for preaching. Um, and then typically what I do also is then I start as I pray about it. I usually take my prayer, my preaching calendar uh, when I pray and I say, okay, what do you want me to be talking about? Where do we need to be going? Um, and I know everybody has a different philosophy. And so I'm not, you know, I'm not ditching on anybody else's philosophy. I feel like the same God that can speak to you on Thursday night about Sunday can talk to you today about February uh, and March. And so, you know, I go into it with a plan. Now, but listen, that can always change. If I, if I feel directed to do something different, we can always do something different. But I have a, you know, kind of a strategy that I work with. I want to, I want to have a balance of Old and New Testament. I want to, I want to do thematic type things that I think are important. So like in February of this year, we're going to do a love theme. That seems to be a very thematic kind of uh, right thing to do. Uh, and then, you know, we just kind of bounce it around with, with things. There, there are things that I feel very strongly that I want to do or I want our staff to be doing and they get into the calendar. And then the whole staff kind of owns that process so that, you know, everybody knows where we're going. So we know that in February, in the March of this next year, we're going to do the whole month on seeing Jesus in the book of Mark. So we're already now researching as a team, you know, what, what does Mark say about who Jesus was? How did that impact the way he wrote that? What does that say to us? What, what kind of Jesus do we see, you know, in, in the book of Mark? And so I, I use it very religiously uh, to help me stay on track so that I know where I'm going. I'm not having to worry what am I going to preach next week? I mean, I know where I'm going with that. That also allows me to work ahead so that I don't feel the crunch of saying, well, I've got to get the sermon. I got to have something to preach. You know, I'm, I'm very, uh, very much a, a forward thinker like that. Well, there's, yeah, I love that. There's so much there. You know, one thing that comes to mind, I want to talk a little bit later about working ahead because I, I love that concept. In particular, I want to kind of get into how much you you plan in terms of each individual sermon. But I want to go back to working with the staff. And you talked about how the staff with you is researching Mark and where you find Jesus in Mark um, and, and what he did. Can you talk about, are those, are those meetings that you have together? Do they do research on their own and report back to you? What does that look like? 
it's really a combination and it, 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 would, it would be difficult to like chart it because sometimes it's a conversation that you have in the hallway on the way to the break room, or it could be pre-service on Sunday morning when you're talking with a staff member and saying, Hey, if you've got some time this week, take a look at this passage and give me some feedback uh, and, and that kind of thing. And then there are times when we sit around as we did this week, uh, we sat around and said, okay, I want you to take this, this passage. I'm going to take this one. You take that one. And then let's talk about it. And so, you know, they had a couple of weeks to think about it. So when they came in Sunday, you know, this is, th- these are my impressions. These are the things I think that are going on there. And then there's that, that give and take. So I, I feel like it gives the staff, uh, they each have their own ministry uh, responsibilities, but it gives them a, a an ownership to it so that it's not just Pastor Bill communicating, it's all of us communicating that, you know, that thought. So, you know, uh, I think it's interesting. Sometimes I'll see them sitting in the audience and they'll smile and I'll know that the reason that they're smiling is that that's what they told me, you know, and that made it into the sermon, you know, the thought that they had or the research that they brought or the concept that they pitched to me, you know, made it. And it, you know, obviously it feels, it feels good to hear that. So, so it's, it's, I try to make it as integrated as possible. And, and some staff members are much more into that. So those are the ones you're leaning into and the others, they'll do it if you need them to, but it's not really a passion for them. So it, it, they, they may get less, you know, less engagement there. Well, you know, I, I love that because not only does it bring the investment of the whole staff into what's being communicated from the pulpit, which I think is really healthy. And like you said, it's very satisfying to them to know that something they said, something they contributed, came became a part of it. So you got buy-in. But I would imagine that for you, um, you don't have to rely as much on your personal experience for every illustration, every example, every thought, every insight. So can you talk about the benefit of broadening that out to these people and what it does for you as a, as a preacher? Yeah. So... You know, if you believe in the fivefold ministry, then you believe that all of those gifts are there to edify the body. So what I don't want to do is I don't want to lead a, a personality-driven church in which every great idea comes out of my head. Mm. So, you know, in that, in that body, I think there's protection. Uh, so if you have more people uh, at the table, then you're getting a broader look at a passage of scripture or a dialogue. And, and sometimes those discussions can be very strong about the way people feel about particular, you know, topics or doctrine or whatever. And I just think, you know, those dialogues make us better. Uh, And so, you know, I want our congregation to know that the whole staff is leading the church. Uh, I'm I'm very much a team guy in, in, in in the administration of our church. I mean, I know when it's time for me to make a decision to, to be the leader in the room, but at the same time, I'm, I'm trying to build future leaders, too. I mean, some of the guys uh, and girls on my staff, they're going to be pastors one day. So let's, let's, you know, start acting like a pastor in some of these kind of things. Let's get pastoral experience for you so that you'll be ready. One of the young men that met with me Sunday, as we we're going out of the room, I just, everybody moved out. He was the last one. I said, Jason, one of these days, you're going to be a great pastor. And what just happened here, you're not going to forget that. Hmm. You're going to remember this because you, you know, you're going to understand that. So I think that's, that's my role is to edify the body and not only edify the body, but edify the staff 
and build confidence. And so the same thing happens. So, you know, I don't preach every Sunday. So when these other guys are preaching, they get the same benefit because we, you know, we engage with them as well so that they have that same uh, benefit of speaking, you know, largely from the concepts that have been shared by others. That's, uh, that's awesome. And I, I love, I love what you said about the protection, use the word protection about a plurality of, of leadership, because I think sometimes what, what I have found, because I talk about preaching teams a lot and, and always have and really love the experience that I've had in the preaching team that I'm on. And I think sometimes people will feel like it somehow cheapens the process if they bring in, you know, the, the non-pastors into it, you know, just somebody on staff who is the receptionist sitting in on your thing. But I, I feel very strongly that you get what you're talking about. You, you get insight and you don't have to use everything you hear. I'm sure sometimes people have insights and you're going, that's not, I'm not going to say that. That's not, and it's an opportunity for you to correct. Or, or to encourage or whatever. Uh, so I, I love that. You know, um, j- just a couple of uh, other thoughts that hit my head. I coach a pastor in Germany uh, who is a U.S. citizen, but he is living in Knebisch outside of Stuttgart. Um, and he works for a church in Kansas City, Missouri, as a researcher for their senior pastor. So he's in seminary at the, at the seminary there in Knebisch, and he works as a researcher for a pastor there. And I was fascinated by that because they pay him a salary every month and he researches, you know, concepts, ideas, thoughts. So the pastor will say to him, you know, with, with a preaching calendar, this is where I'm going to be in February and I want you to help me with these. And so that guy has, and he's worked closely enough with that pastor. He knows what he's looking for. So he digs that stuff out and then he gives it to the pastor who takes it and develops it. And, and I, I was interested to find out that there are other pastors in the country that do that. I just never had thought about, you know, paying somebody to do that, but it makes a lot of, a lot of sense to get people who have expertise and, and, and the ability to help uh, with that. The other thing I was going to tell you is I just started working with a pastor. I know him uh, and he preaches his sermon to the staff on Thursday morning and then he gets the feedback and then he refines it before Sunday. Uh, And so the staff has an opportunity to say, this is what I'm hearing. Uh, is this what you meant when you said that? And he feels like it helps him to correct any spaces that need, you know, that need attention. So again, that's just another way of doing what we're talking about. Yeah, absolutely. I, I'm, I'm a part of a church that does that. We do it on Wednesday. Um, and it's amazing. For one thing, when the lead pastor leads that way, where they are preaching and then opening themselves up to feedback from the staff, it sets the tone of evaluation like we're a culture of evaluation because the top dog is doing it um yeah and and i i agree i think that's i think that's really really an amazing thing um i want to talk about working ahead so so you've got a calendar the whole staff is in on it um how far ahead are you writing sermons or you are you outlining them ahead of time drawing out the concepts how how deep do you go how far ahead yeah so again it it has a rhythm to it. Um, I can tell you that because there's been a little bit of, of space in my calendar the last few weeks, I'm farther ahead than I've ever been before uh, in the sense that, you know, I'm mapping out, you know, January series is called tomorrow. So it's the children of Israel coming out of Egypt. So week one is get me out of Egypt. Week two is get Egypt out of me. Uh, and then week three is, 
frustration, waiting on the promise. And then the last one is embrace. So I'm already in there. I'm already in those passages working through them. January is really coming together. February is already done. So I typically try to stay about two to three months out um, with those kind of processes. But again, it a lot depends on the rhythm. You know, you, you get into a, like as a pastor, you get into a season where you have a bunch of funerals or weddings or things like that. You get bogged down and you, you don't get that far ahead. So uh, I really do it uh, in a way to kind of pre- uh, preemptively say this will help me not get caught up, you know, in the holidays or other things. I may not have as much time. So I'll know January is going to, before I go to the holidays, I know January's done, February's done. Now we're doing March, you know, that kind of thing. I haven't gone beyond March at this point. I'm, I'm, I'm thinking about it, but I haven't, you know, we haven't talked about what April, May or June will look like. So maybe two to three months uh, is, is typical for me. And again, that depends on the rhythm. Yeah, that's that's fantastic. Uh, I think we were talking earlier before we started recording that not every pastor is able to do that. Um, some people can only just kind of put a, a you know a concept on the calendar for two months from now because they're focused on this week's sermon and it's it's confusing. But I think the more you can, and I think you would agree, the more you can work ahead, the better. Um, yeah, I, I don't like the pressure of knowing that there's just a day or two. And I don't yet know what I'm going to say. I mean, I, I, I just, I guess that's probably my personality, but you know, I like to know because I know, for example, we're finishing up Philippians. I know every message that's going to finish out that series. So I'm not only thinking about this week, but I'm thinking about how this week sets up next week and how, you know, next week is going to lead to the end. So I think that helps give a fullness because I don't have to, for example, you know, we do split services or multiple services. So I don't have an hour to unpack this message. I've only got 26 minutes or 22 minutes, depending on the programming. So I may want to say, well, you know what, next week, I'm actually going to have that. So I won't talk about that this week because I've got next week. I know where that's at and I can just, you know, or I can shift stuff and say, you know, I'll wait till next week to get into that. So I, I think that just helps me to have a fuller and helps my people to have the fuller experience of getting all the content. Because sometimes, you know, you fall in love with the content and you either preach too long or you get too deep and people can't follow. Um, So I think, you know, spreading it out and doing it that way helps our people to get, you know, a richer experience. Yeah, I I think you're absolutely right. And especially when you know what's coming, uh, you can you can preach in such a way that leads to that next week so much better. I'm not. Again, everybody's different. My father wasn't this way, and my father does—he's he's still alive, but he doesn't understand how I do this. You know, he'll—he'll—he'll he'll, he'll, he'll push back on it and say, "Well, you know, uh, I usually just you know pray and whatever whatever God gave me." And I, I understand that, and I've done that before. And there have been moments of divine inspiration that came to me, and you feel like you've got a right now word that you've got to give, and I, I get that. Uh, but this other—I'm praying about all these concepts. I'm not—I'm not just throwing stuff like, you know, darts on the wall. I'm actually saying, God, do you want me to do this? And I'm feeling, okay, this is the time for us to talk about this. And, uh, and so that's been, you know, I felt later, uh, last, uh, couple, couple months ago, August, I guess it was with some of the things that were going on in our country. I felt very led to talk about Jonah and his issues of prejudice and problems that he had with the, uh, you know, the, the Ninevites, it was a right now time. And so we pushed back some other stuff so that we could do Jonah in August because we felt like that was what God was saying to us. So uh, it, it, you can have both, I think. 
Yeah, I, I love that. So it, in no way are you saying to be inflexible. I mean, you've right. got to you've got to be fluid enough to to shift um, if God would lead that way. You know, it's such a refreshing perspective that you have because what I find sometimes is that people are on either end of the spectrum. Either it has to be what they consider to be a completely Holy Spirit led process where I just I pray and I get up there and start talking, or it's this really rigid planned out, uh, that kind of fills a little stale. Yeah. And so I think what I hear you saying is that you've got to blend those two things together where it is Holy spirit driven. And there's also a plan that is led by God. Yeah. That, that's the way I, I like to do it. It's, it's, it's how I feel. It's how I feel it should be. And so, yeah, I absolutely agree with that. Absolutely. Well, I, what I would love to do is, uh, I, I would love to talk about, um, books. I, one of the things I love to do is encourage people to read and read widely. So what is a recent book that you've read that's made an impact on you and your leadership? Well, our staff just got through reading Atomic Habits by James Clear. Um, it was recommended to me by one of my sons who's a pastor that his staff had gone through it. Uh, we had just finished Mark Batterson's book. We had read through the, the Circle of Prayer um, and, um, and so we were looking for something else. Now, uh, Atomic Habits is not a religious book necessarily. It's secularly done more of a business book, but I felt like our team needed to kind of refocus on priorities and, you know, maybe fight for some focus and clarity. And so, uh, we did that book together. I did it first and then we, you know, then the staff did it. So I would say that's the most recent thing, uh, that I've been reading that's, uh, impacting my leadership profile and performance. Well, I, I, I love I love Atomic Habits. I'm a huge fan of <clears throat> huge fan of it, um, and I highly recommend it to our to our listeners. When you when you think about the the priorities and the focus and clarity that your staff needed, what were, could you get into what some of those were, and maybe what you saw as a result of that exercise going through that book? Yeah. So when I was reading the book, one of the things that Mr. Clear talks about that really helped me was how, and this may not be the way he worded it, but this is the way that I worded it. The concept of how distraction uh, impacts performance. Uh, In one of the chapters, I can't remember which one it was, but he talks about, you know, if a plane leaves Los Angeles, California, headed to New York City, and it deviates by just 3%, it ends up in Washington, D.C. So, you know, and so what I'm telling our team is, is that you can get distracted with even in good things, but it throws you off track. So, you know, if you're going in this direction and you just start veering out a little bit before long, you're way out here and you're off that point. So we talk a lot about, are we being distracted by this? Uh, because in a church our size, we have about 250 people. You know, there's a lot of moving parts, a lot of things happening week to week. And it's real easy sometimes for staff members to come into a meeting and bring their, their stuff with them and it can distract the whole staff. And so this fight for focus and clarity is something that we have to say, okay, we're not going to go down that road because it's not, it's not what God has called us to do. There are other churches that do that. Well, let's recommend that other church to them. Let's not let ourselves get distracted because I think churches get full. You know, when I was a, a bishop, I would go to churches. You'd have a church of 50 people. You'd go in and you'd look at their ministry bulletin. They got 23 ministries going. 
well, there's no way a church that small can be that focused. And, and what happens is you get all this random programming going on and it's sucking the life out of the big concepts that you're trying to do. So the book really helped. I think it did. I hope it does help my staff to stay focused on what are the, what are the three or four things that we really think God wants us to do in this community and this church. And we've identified those, you know, we want to love God, love people. And we want to be engaged in the community in the things that uh, demonstrate Christ. So, you know, there are, there are people come along and they'll say, Hey, pastor, we, don't you think we need to do this? Well, that's a great idea, but what it's going to do is it's going to take us off of mission. It's going to get us over here doing something, doing a good thing. You know, if you want to do that on your own, but as far as a church involvement with that. So the book helped us with that way. Oh, that's, that's, that's fantastic. Um, I, I think the thing I love about that application is I think most churches tend towards complexity, right? That's the natural result. If you give a church an, enough time, <laughs> it's going to add programs. And once you add something, it's very difficult to take it away. Right. So if you have the discipline, like you're saying, to look at someone who, you know, the, the example we, we like to talk about is um, uh, like foster care, for example. It's a great thing. Um, you know, you could argue that every church should be uh, very involved in that. Uh, but one church may choose to be very involved with foster care and another church may choose to do something else that's equally as noble, but you can't do everything well. So you actually diminish your efforts over here if you're trying to do everything. And I, I, think, I think you're exactly right. And if, you, if, if you're able to get, if, if, you're, if, you're, if, you're, if there's somebody listening who is struggling with the fact that they've got way too many things going on at their church and uh, they want to cast that vision for, for reducing some of that, what would you tell them? I mean, how, how do you communicate that to people who, who believe in what they're doing and think their thing is the thing that has to stay because everybody loves their thing? Yeah. So what we've started doing, so the, the proof will be in, in 2021 if this is going to work for us, but we've decided that we're going to tag our small group ministry into that. So if you've got this passion for foster care, then we're probably going to offer a small group for foster care. And then those people that, that want to be involved in that can do that, but it doesn't, you know, engage the whole church in that process. Now, listen, there are times when small group stuff will spill out and it does grab the whole church and that's okay too. But uh, we're, we're going to do that this year and we're going to see how that works for us because, you know, there are a number of different things like we offer grief, grief share for grief counseling we're doing addiction recovery, but we're doing those through a small group concept that allows that to go in that direction. And we think that's working for us. So we're going to expand that in 2021 uh, and kind of do it that way. And then that way you don't have to necessarily just say, well, we're not doing that, but you're allowed to say, okay, well, let's test it over here in a small group. Uh, if the person can lead it or someone else can lead it, then you can be involved with that and, and let's see where it takes us. And we'll, we'll see. Again, I don't know that that'll work, and I don't know of other churches that are doing it specifically that way, but we're going to try it that way this year. Well, I, I've, seen that, I've seen that work. I think it's a great idea because I think a lot of times people will have an idea, and the way to know if they're really passionate about it is when you say, hey, we'll, we'll cheer you on and you lead it. Yep. That's, where, <laughs> that's usually where it dies. So if somebody actually carries it through in a small group setting, then you know you've got a leader and someone who's owning it. That's true. Absolutely. I agree with that. 
Well, the last thing I want to ask you, and this is kind of a curveball. I didn't, I didn't give, I didn't give you any warning about this, but I was watching some of your messages today, and I, I saw the way you were leading through uh, the situation we're in with the illness that's going on and pandemic, and you were encouraging your uh, your people to to wear masks, and and you even said, hey, listen, I, you know, do this out of love. And I thought it was really great the way you approached that. So. I would love to hear uh, what it's been like leading through this. Um, we've touched on this in, in all of these episodes just because this is such a unique situation that we've all been in. Um, you know, what have you learned through this? What were some of the, the, the challenges? Uh, what, what, what things come to mind? Well, the pandemic, um, history may show us because um, you know, it's kind of like the will of God. The will of God is often very forensic. It's hard to know the will of God when you're looking right at it, but you can look behind you and go, wow, it was the will of God for me to buy that house, or it was the will of God for me to meet that person. Uh, the pandemic may prove to be one of the best things that ever happened to the church, because I think the pandemic has helped us to realize what really is important, what a church is, what a church isn't. Um, and, and I think that we're, we're starting to embrace the idea that the pandemic has helped us uh, in a couple of of places where we needed to kind of simplify the process and redefine who we were as a body. And when you're not able necessarily to all meet together, cause we've had to go to split services uh, because of capacity restrictions uh, that's helped us. Uh, I think that's helped us. The, the bigger problems that we faced are the same problems that a lot of pastors have been facing. And that is managing the people. You know, the management of people is, is, that's exactly what Paul's talking about in second Corinthians 11, when he talks about all the things he's been through personally. And, you know, he's often been hungry and he's been beaten and he's been left for dead. And he's had danger in all these places. And then he finishes in verse 28 by saying, and above this, the care of the churches, <laughs> he's talking about the management of people. Yep. That's what's driving him crazy. And I think that's been for our staff, the hardest part is managing people uh, because everybody has an opinion and everybody has a, a you know, uh, a strong opinion about this, that, or the other. Uh, we took the approach. Now, in this particular part of Ohio, we've been blessed. We've not had the outbreaks that they've had in Cleveland proper or Columbus or some of the other large cities in Ohio. Uh, but we took the approach that we were going to be very proactive. We started requiring masks from the very, almost from the very beginning when we reopened in June. Um, and we, we asked our people to wear their mask in. Uh, to the building. And then we give them the discretion if they're sitting in these, you know, family pods or whatever, if they want to take the mask off while they're worshiping, they can do that. But when they leave the building, we want the mask back on as they go in, out and that kind of thing. Uh, we've got some people in our church, like all churches that are immune compromised. And we do this in, a, in an act of brotherly love. Uh, I hate wearing a mask. I despise wearing it, but I do it because I know that I'm you know, helping to create a safe environment for other people. Um, and then we have just started checking temperatures. Uh, we've had an outbreak, uh, like a lot of places in the country right now, there's been an infection rate that has spiked up in our area. So last Sunday we started and we, we went ahead and notified our people. We, we contacted them through all the various means that we use. Um, and we just told our people, we're, we're taking this precaution because we want to keep this place safe. We want to keep meeting with you and, some of the churches around us, uh, you know, they've had outbreaks that's caused them to have to close their church down. 
we didn't want that. So we've tried to be very proactive. The management of, of the, you know, I've got some people that are not coming because of the mask. You know, I've got some people that are not coming because the doctors have told them to stay away. Um, and so, you know, all those personalities, I've got some people that fuss because the people don't wear the mask. You know, it's kind of like a pastor I coach who, who did a survey in his church when he was trying to reopen. 50% of his people said, we won't come back if you make us wear a mask. 50% said, we're not coming back if you don't require a mask. And he's like, what do I do? I said, well, I think you're now going to have two services. You're going to have a service for the mask wearers and a service for the non-mask wearers. I, I think every pastor has just learned how to be adaptable to that. And um, so I think that's helped us, you know, that's helped us to be more flexible. There's been a lot of frustration, a lot of exhaustion with it, but God's been so faithful Lane, Our church has done very well and I'm very grateful for it. I think it's a testimony to the leadership that bought in early and said, Hey, we're going to do this together. We're going to take our time. We did not reopen kids ministry immediately, but we took our time through that. Uh, and everybody did a good job. We surveyed our people from time to time just to get, catch everybody's, you know, where everybody was. And, and, and for that part, we're thankful. So we've got a good report coming out of this. I hope this will be over soon for everybody. Uh, and I, so that I think we can move forward from this, but we're a bit as we've gone through it. Well, I, I love that. And I love, I love how you, you talked about how it's, it's been a good thing. I think, I think a lot of times we can look at, you know, lower attendance. A lot of churches are at 35%, you know, in-person attendance of what they used to be. Uh, but what you said about how it's really helped us remember what a church is and, and what our priorities should be. I, I have seen that time and time and time again. And I think you're right. I think time will tell. But I think this, uh, this could be one of the best things. I mean, clearly, uh, it, it's been a tragedy in a lot of ways. So I'm not making light of that. I'm just saying that for the church, uh, what has happened could be one of the best things that, that has happened for, for what you've just described. I mean, people yeah. staying it's on taught, mission. I think it's taught us something, too. I mean, you know, we're, you start thinking about what a post-pandemic church environment is going to be. Um, you know, the people that fought us about wanting to reopen the churches were our boomers. It wasn't the millennials. It wasn't the Gen Xers. You know, that, that's been the biggest surprise for me because I thought it was families that would say, we need the church open, but they don't. And they're the ones that are using your online and your digital experiences and expressions. Uh, and, but it's your older people that want to get back in church. That's their identity with that. Um, and so that's changing the way that we're thinking, you know, and we're trying to learn our way through this as to how much we need to invest in digital and online experiences and expressions and, and how do we push the gospel out there, um, you know, in a way that, you know, reaches the world uh, very quickly. I, I was sitting there one day while we were recording an online service back in April and I was remembering as a boy in my dad's church that I used to hear preachers come by and they would preach that verse, this gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in all the world for a witness and then the end will come. And I used to think as a kid, how in the world are they going to do that? But from our sanctuary, we're preaching the gospel to the nations of the world and we're seeing the engagement of people that we could never have gone to and reached. So, you know, maybe, maybe this, this pandemic has forced the church to take, Take a look at Great Commission a different way uh, to utilize the tools and technology that's there to help us reach a world that still needs to know about Jesus. And that's a good thing. In the end, that's a good thing. Yeah, that's, that's awesome. I love it. 
Well, I, I want to uh, I want to point people towards you so they can learn more from you. Uh, you've written a lot of books. One of the ones that I was looking at is called "Be the Leader." I, I know that you have, and I'll link I'll link to that below if you're watching on YouTube, and uh, I'll put it on the website uh, if you're listening on on uh, on your favorite podcast player. But tell me about your next book that you're about to write, or that well, you're writing I'm currently. Hoping, yeah, I'm hoping by Christmas that the new book will be out. It's going to be called "More." A Relentless Pursuit of Jesus. It's, um, it, it's an exchange or a discourse in the book of Philippians and Paul's, you know, never satisfied uh, approach that there's always more of Jesus that, that I can discover. It's like peeling an onion. Every time you peel it back, there's more, there's more. And he seems to say that he said, all these other things, they don't matter to me. I just want more of him. I want to be, I want to be more engaged with him. I literally want to, I want to feel the pain and the suffering and the, all of that because I want to know more. And uh, so I'm excited about it. It's going to hopefully be ready by Christmas, but it's just, you know, how, how do you build those kind of systems in your life that just relentlessly and never uh, give up the pursuit of, of knowing him? Uh, and so that'll be the new book, but be the leader has been a great book. It's the story of Nehemiah and how leadership impacts a community and a culture and how it changes, you know, uh, people. Uh, that that's a great story there. And I loved writing that book right before that. And I'm just, if I could pitch one book sure. right in front of that book is the book. I want what God wants. I wrote that book with my son, Jason, who's a pastor in Lex in Louisville, Kentucky. It started out as a story about his little girl who had a, when she was first born, her head was just larger. And we thought perhaps there might be something wrong. And when we were praying over that, we were all praying that prayer, Lord, we want what you want. And it led me on a journey to read the Bible in a different way. And what I discovered is what God wants is he wants obedience. He wants me to be obedient. And if I'll be obedient, so the, you know, then he'll bless me and he'll bless what I have. So I, we wrote that book about how, how obedience transforms you. And, and though that's a, it's been a great seller too. It's a great book. So highly recommend that. Wow. That's, that's awesome. I definitely encourage anyone watching to go check out Bill Isaac's books on YouTube. I mean, on uh, Amazon, lots of great titles. Those three would be really great to pick up. And you can, you can find him, uh, Bill Isaacs on Facebook, Bishop Bill on Twitter. And then you also provide your email address. Do you care if I share, share that? Absolutely. That's fine. It's the best way to reach me probably. Yeah. So Bill at forwardleadership.org. If you want to connect more with Pastor Bill, thank you so much for coming on. What an honor. It's, it's been, an honor, it's, it's, Thank you so much for what you're doing for pastors. I love pastors and I love what you're doing for pastors. I appreciate that. Thank you very much. I, this has been an awesome conversation and I'd love to have you back on sometime soon. Absolutely. Well, as you can see, that was an incredible interview and I'm so appreciative of Bill for doing that. Definitely look him up on Facebook, write him an email, look up his books, Be the Leader and the one that's coming later this month. Definitely check out him. He'll be glad to go further with you. He's got a heart to help pastors and to coach younger leaders and, and pastors and ministers all around the world. And so the couple of things that I love about that interview and a couple of things that I love about what he brought out is that his, his idea of the, the importance of bringing your staff, bringing a team into the process of preparing the message, I think that's so insightful. There's so many that 
don't do that. And so they don't get that depth and that richness. And as he said, that protection, theological protection, and even cultural protection, just knowing that what you're saying is relevant because you've kind of tested it with people in your church. I think that's really, really important. And then I love his his emphasis on the pandemic not necessarily in itself being a positive thing. Obviously, it's been tragic. However, God can use anything. And so the recognition that even though this has been challenging, and even though it's been something different for all of us, it could be something that we look back on and say, this is when we started to get it as a church. This is when we started to turn a corner and things began to change in a positive way because we got more focused. And so... I love that. I hope that you can take away uh, from that. I hope that's encouraging to you. And be sure to, to look him up. Like I said, share this episode with your friends. Be sure to subscribe, leave a rating and review. I really appreciate it when you do that. And again, if you decide that you want coaching or a sermon eval, t- check us out, preachingdonkey.com slash coaching. And I will see you in the next episode. But until then, remember, if God can speak through a donkey, he can speak through you and he can speak through me. We'll see you next time here on the Preaching Donkey Podcast.